shop till you drop where our prices are sure to make you drop dead why not kickstart the weekend with our two for one deal on prosecco for just 25.99 or for our shoppers who are dining alone tonight check out our microwave two course meal deal for well we'll probably just give that to you for free eh come along Come along to the You'll Meet Somebody counter. It's right next to the Wedding Planner kiosk. It goes well with two bottles of Prosecco. I've done a bunch of drugs, but I have my limits. For example, I've never felt the desire to ram any of them into me using a needle. I prefer standard methods. Lungs? Sure. Mouth? Why not? Nose? Oh if you insist. Ass, maybe, but never before 4 a.m. The logic behind that is this. The later it happens, the less it actually happened. Yes, you cheated on him, but did you cheat after the train stopped running? It's probably all right. Cheating at lunchtime? You're a monster. Somewhere around last call, all responsibility goes out the window. That's why the clubs close then. Of course, will doing whatever very wrong thing at that very wrong time make an amazing story? Yes, it will. This is because 3 a.m. is a fucked up hour. Normal people are in bed at this hour, and you should be too, so doing anything then is already notable. I'm not judging it because Lord knows all my best stories come from before dawn, but it's important to remember that even though it's like a vacation, and it happens every day for several hours, if you live there, it's not a vacation anymore. I was raised to be competitive, and I am. I am a grade A, keep you up until 5 a.m. to finish a game of Monopoly competitive. I mean, I am so competitive. I actually took a 26 question survey to evaluate how hyper competitive I am. As it turns out, aced it. 25 out of 26, correct? <laughs> Apparently, being hyper-competitive is actually not the same as just being the best at competitiveness, which is disappointing. Uh, but rather, it's, quote, a real problem I should look at and quite concerning. Yeah, it's apparently hyper-competitive individuals need to win in order to get enhanced feelings of self-worth. That does not sound great. And I guess it's right. I mean, in a recent tournament of board game SmackDown, just comedians playing board games, when I was eliminated from the game, I cried. Like I legitimately cried. My girlfriend held me in her arms crying. I mean, I thought I was crying because I just wanted to keep playing the game. But I mean, I think there is more to it. And maybe I am hyper competitive. I mean, looking at the test for hyper-competitiveness, I thought some of the questions were pretty standard, right? I thought everybody looked at this way in life. Like, first of all, um, I find myself being competitive, even in situations that do not call for a competition. What? 
Like, come on, name one situation that isn't a competition. Another one, uh, I compete with others even when they are not competing with me. I mean, oh, I'm just saying, if you're cycling on the road, you're in a race, not my fault. And I find myself turning a friendly gamer activity into a serious contest or conflict. I mean, I think all games are friendly. I always take games as being friendly. I mean, I was totally fine. It was my nephew who was crying. There was one question I did get wrong. I mean, I, I did not answer it was me, and which was, um, I do not see my opponents in competition as mortal enemies challenging my very existence. Uh, thank you. So I know, I know I'm competitive, but what's wrong with being competitive anyway? Well, apparently, the problem with focusing on winning is that, well, we'll hurt the feelings of the losers that lost, am I right? <laughs> it's not, that's not right. I mean, I guess when we focus on winning, we forget about growing. So I'm working on it. I am now out to be the least competitive person in the world. Good evening shoppers, the time is 10.20, the store will be closing in 10 minutes. Oh no, no, wait, now it's 9 minutes and 57 seconds. What is it, Suzanne? Oh, whatever, get off my back. Time is a construct anyway. Oh, except for shoppers, you do have to leave by 10.30. So I was in school in this small country town in the west of Ireland and the school is made for about 300 people but there was about 800 kids packed into it. I think they probably did that in, you know, in hopes that if you pack enough people in together that the smart kids, you know, the brains from them will pass over to the not so smart kids by like osmosis because they're on top of each other. But that didn't work. Um, and I know, you know, in every school across the country, across the world, there's different cliques and groups. But in our school, there was a very, very unique group. The tractor imitators. So these lads, not only did they imitate tractors, but they actually arrived to school in tractors sometimes. They even arrived to school covered in shite before they had gotten into the tractor because they'd have to help on the farm and, you know, they'd be covered in shite but they wouldn't have a pen or a book or nothing because they wouldn't have time for it. But we'd all be packed in the hallways, you'd be shuffling along and these lads would just start imitating tractors and guessing what type of tractor the other one was. So they'd be like, right, guess this one now. fellow would go tractor thrasher 2000 how did you know I know every tractor a few years later we were at the 21st and my brother was in the bathroom and he came out and he was like you won't believe this they are still imitating tractors and guessing correctly the type of tractor that the other lad is being so then that got me thinking recently I was like do they still do it? Do they still imitate tractors? And imagine if two of them, you know, worked in a KPMG or something and they're waiting for everyone to leave and they're like working really late. They 
start shouting across the office to each other like, Right, guess this one, lad. Here we go. when this happens. Oh, Pigeon has gotten on the tube train. Crap, I should do something. Maybe if I kick out slightly. Nope, that didn't work. Ah, uh, 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 um. oh, nope. Wonder if I can get someone's attention? It's kind of a two-person job. No, no one's looking up on the, on the London tube, of course. Damn. Jesus, I feel so bad. Like, I know it's just a pigeon, but if he stays on, it's only going to take, like, what, two stops? And he's going to be so lost. And all his little pigeon friends are going to wonder where he went. Wait, actually, that doesn't sound right. Let me Google, uh, oh, pigeons, homing pigeons. Wow, okay, so... Pigeons are highly sociable. <laughs> well, that explains the crowds at Trafalgar Square. <laughs> no, 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 not funny, not funny. Hmm. Men and females share equal responsibility for raising their young and pigeons mate for life. Huh. Better at dating than me. Pigeons are better at dating than me. That makes me feel great. Good, good, good. Ah, oh, here it is, here it is. Pigeons are highly skillful navigators. They deliver life-saving medication and provide valuable messenger services in remote areas. Ah, oh, yeah, come to think of it, yes. I am pretty sure that I have seen one confidently changing trains. Maybe, maybe this pigeon wants to be on the tube. Maybe he's going east for pigeony supplies, better twigs, or a big pigeon meeting at Trafalgar Square. No, no, again. Not, not funny. Uh, I bet he's like, goodness, this tube is so busy. I don't know why he's posh. It's not even rush hour and I'm never going to get a seat. Excuse me, excuse me. God, imagine if pigeons were actually posh. <laughs> Please don't kick me. I bruise like a peach. Oh, look, an empty crisp packet. Ah, he's gotten off. On my right inner arm, just above my hand, there is a tattoo of Spider-Man. To the uninitiated, it is a round, simplistic rendering of Spider-Man's mask. To the initiated, it is a representation of the flashlight Spider-Man had fixed to his belt that he would use to illuminate bad guys in an alleyway from the original 1950s comics by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. It was the last tattoo I got and may well prove to be my last full stop. Not because I'm ashamed or embarrassed of it. These days I pay no more attention to it than I do any of the numerous freckles on my arm. It's the explaining of it. It's a consideration that I think is all too often overlooked by those wanting to get a tattoo. Think less, what does this tattoo say about me? And more, what will I have to say about it? I still love Spider-Man and geek out every time there is a new Spider-Man film in the cinema or comic book in the shops. I'm just not sure that I want other people to know it now. Or perhaps I'm just bored of giving the same response to the same questions every time Spider-Man pops out from beneath my sleeve. 
The reaction I get is often as simple as a nice Spider-Man tattoo, said in a range of ways from sarcastic to genuine. My stock response is, it's a cover-up. I used to have a tattoo of Peter Parker's face. People often say the same thing when you have a tattoo. But what's it going to look like when you're old and wrinkly? I have thought about it and I have a response prepared for this as well. It will look like Spider-Man's mask when he's not wearing it. Suzanne to till number eight, please. Suzanne to till number eight. Come in, Suzanne, over. Suzanne, they have us surrounded. Oh, God, please. Suzanne, please, no. So I ran into the other day. Jonty Don. Jonty. Monty's. Monty Don's twin. Monty Don, the gardener's world fella. The curly billard. Monty Don. Off the BBC. Posh lad. He's a gardener. He's called Monty. Monty Don. Anyway, his brother, John T. The twins. No, I think he works on the bins. I make plans, you make plans, we make plans. And I know not too far deep down that these plans, these light, barely explored plans are never ever going to happen. You know they're never going to happen. We all know they are never going to happen. And so we still plan. We should all go for coffee. Yeah, we should all go for pints. Definitely. Yeah, let's get a group. I don't think you realise that like I'm actually booked up till 2023 or I uh, won't actually want to go when the time comes. But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say anything. Nope. I really want to go on a sun holiday, yeah, let's just eat and drink and swim, let's actually organise it, let's, we always talk about doing it, let's actually do something about it, yeah, 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 and so we do, we do what we do best and that is plan. I look into your eyes and you into mine and us into theirs and silently agree that these plans will stay just as they were intended to be. This has been Crowd of Clouds, episode three, Nimbo Stray Fluff. You heard Supermarket Tannoys 1, 2 and 3 by myself, Dora Flowers. Standard Methods by Matthew Justin. Competitiveness, Robin Perkins. Tractor Boys, Amy Walsh. Chew Pigeon, Dora Flowers. Spider-Man, Carl Carzana. You must know John T, Sonny Bozo. And Plans by Marty Gleason. 
Crowd of Clouds was created and devised by the Crowd of Clouds team, Dora Flowers, Marty Gleason, and Matthew Justin. All audio editing and original music by Matthew Justin. Find us on our socials at crowd underscore of underscore clouds on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.